0: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. We hear again our text for this morning. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he is master of all, but is under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the Father. Even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his Son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Let us pray. These are your words, Holy Father. Sanctify us by the truth. Your word is truth. Amen. Brothers and sisters in Christ, grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus. Amen. There are two religions in the world, the religion of grace and the religion of works, the religion of sonship and the religion of slavery. The religion of grace teaches sinners who are headed for death, and judgment, that they are purchased and redeemed by the blood of Jesus, and that their sins are forgiven freely for the sake of the same Jesus Christ our Lord, the eternal Son of God. This is the life that is lived under the Gospel. This religion counters and challenges man's sense of justice and fairness, because it does not depend on what man contributes or thinks. It is a religion of grace that gives salvation to the greatest sinner no less than to the hardest working saint. This religion that reconciles God to man and man to God, who is beyond moral striving, is the same religion that teaches man to trust in God, who is also beyond all human reason. He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Father begets the Son from eternity, The Son is begotten from eternity. The love that binds them from eternity is the love made manifest when the Son of God becomes true man. The Holy Spirit proceeds, as we just confessed, from both. Proceeds from Father and Son together. And he invites man into the eternal love revealed in the person and work of the Son, which the Father commanded. And he does so by persuading us to believe that this love is also for us. The eternal love of God within the Godhead is the very same love of God toward us, toward all men. What a mystery. By his holy birth, life, death, resurrection, and ascension to the Father's right hand of power, the Son of God teaches us to trust in his Father as our own Father. He makes us sons and fellow heirs of eternal life. The Holy Spirit who makes this known to us also convinces us to believe it. He helps us in our weakness, intercedes for us, and gives articulate expression to all our woes and troubles and sighs when we don't know what words to pray. He does this by teaching our hearts to appeal to what Jesus has done for us and not to what we can can do, or have done for God. The Holy Spirit is true God, no less than the Son. God is love. The Holy Spirit enlightens us to know God as our Father and to trust Him as beloved sons of God for Jesus' sake. Then there is the religion of works, the religion of slaves. And this religion makes sense. It teaches that sinners should stop sinning. The more they do what they're commanded to do, the more pleased their God will be with them. It's how the world works. The less they do what they're told not to do, the less angry their God will be. There are rules. Obey the rules. The extent to which you do is the extent to which you know you're approved. Simple. Appealing. And the rules make sense because the God makes sense. The God is not always particular about how you describe Him. He is the God understood already by human reason. He is the God of every religion other than Christianity. Sometimes, in fact, even those who call themselves Christians replace the true God with this more sensible God. When this happens, however, it is usually required that you agree to certain terms. You have to call this God triune. You have to call him Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You may have to follow the customs and expectations of the host congregation. Like, get your kids baptized, get confirmed, and show up for church once in a while. It doesn't matter so much, really, who this God is or what importance there is to say in say, say the, the, the doctrine of the Trinity or what baptism does. But, you know, rules are rules. And you have to obey them. The extent to which you obey is the extent to which you know where you stand. And if you do the rules, who can lecture you? If you retain membership, who can say you're doing it wrong? If you do the rules, who can tell you anything? The religion of works makes for good slaves. Slaves determine where they stand with their master based on how well they manage to obey their master. The religion of grace, however, makes us sons. Sons determine where they stand with their father based on the love of their father toward his children. God is triune. This is not for us just one of the rules that we agree to as slaves who commit themselves to rules. The eternal Godhead of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is indistinguishable from the revelation of God's grace and mercy toward us. Not only in Christ his Son, but also in the promise of the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, who teaches us to believe. Our baptism is more than a formula, more than a rule. It is an invitation for you to know the God who cannot be known except by faith in his grace. This grace contradicts a slave's sense of duty and reward. This grace teaches us to know the true God who cannot be known except by those who are born again. This God who promises sonship to those who hear his word and keep it is the God to whom his children gladly listen. And willingly gathered together with their brothers and sisters to learn from and praise his grace. A slave does what he does under compulsion. He must. He must obey orders or suffer the consequences. If he does as he's told, he'll get a reward, but the good things he gets from his master always depend on his obedience to his master. The slave knows where he stands with his master. The law tells him It reminds him that he is a slave. If the law defines your relationship with God, you are a slave. And the law comes naturally to your heart. And so you always have that law in your mind and heart telling you how it is that you might retain a good relationship with God. It comes naturally and it's easy to fall back on. But a son does not fall back on what comes naturally. He falls back on what is revealed to him in the gospel. And a son does what he does freely. He freely hears the gospel. He wants to. He depends on it. He doesn't obey the law out of fear of punishment or hope of reward. He obeys the law out of love. He is a son, not a slave. He loves his father and does as his father says for the simple reason that his father says it. And the son wants to please his father. He's a son. He is the heir of everything that belongs to his father. The son doesn't obey the law in order to become a son. He obeys the law because he is a son. As long as the heir, that is the son, is still a child, however, he is no different from a slave. This means that the heir, while he is still young, must be taught... Learning is hard. It requires discipline. Before Christ came, Israel, God's chosen people, were children. They were heirs of the promises that God made, but they were still in training. God God taught them to make distinctions, as we must teach our children. He gave them regulations that distinguished right from wrong, holiness from profanity, purity from defilement truth from falsehood. Like us with our own children, God laid down rules about what they could eat, drink, and wear. He told them when and how to worship, how to govern the affairs of state, and even deal with diseases.
1: He also gave them
0: the Ten Commandments as a summary and most excellent guide. The law trained them. It taught them how God's people should live but it did not establish their relationship with God because the law didn't give them the power to live the life that God told them to live. From Moses to Christ, the law confined Israel in spiritual childhood, bound by regulations that trained them for the fulfillment of all time. And then time was fulfilled when Jesus was born. The eternal God took on himself, flesh and blood. Now are the days fulfilled. God sends forth his son born of a woman. He is born of a woman, but no man had anything to do with it. She was a virgin when she conceived. She was a virgin when she gave birth. God did everything. He who was begotten of the Father before all worlds became one of us He wed himself to our flesh and blood, never to part. He joined himself to our humanity. But that was not enough. Becoming true man did not alone make him our savior, because it could not by itself make him our substitute. Even as true man, the law could demand nothing of him. The law is made for sinners. The law commands slaves. But Jesus was free. He had no sin. All he did, he did willingly. He had no need to be trained, but he embraced the law that trained us. He willingly, as a free son, placed himself under the bondage of the law so that his holy life, his pure heart, his perfect obedience might be rendered in our place. Jesus voluntarily submitted to the Law because it was his Father's will that he set us free from our sins. It was his Father's will that we become sons of God. Jesus loved his Father and he loved us. No compulsion required, no rule, love. Free-giving love did it as we sing during Advent, love, cause thy incarnation, love brought thee down to me, thy thirst for my salvation procured my liberty, O love beyond all telling that led thee to embrace in love, all love excelling our lost and fallen race. As God's children of the Old Testament were kept in bondage by regulations and laws until the time appointed by the Father, that is, until Christ came in the fullness of time, so also we must be too. It is why we observe Advent. We prepare ourselves for the birth of Christ and the fulfill- fullness of time, not by perfecting our obedience, not by assuring ourselves that we are doing as much as anyone can expect of us. Look how we come to church more often if we do. No, we're not slaves, we're sons. We prepare for Christ's birth by repenting. We prepare not as slaves, but as sons who rely on God's son. We repent not as those unsure of where we stand and so forced to do better. No, we repent as sons who are sure of God's pardon and so truly grieve that we have not lived as he has told us we should. But Jesus was forced to do nothing. He willingly obeyed everything the law required of us. His love for God was indistinguishable from his love for us. Again that mystery of mysteries, he fulfilled the law perfectly as only a true son can do. The spirit and the letter of the law, from a heart that agreed with the goodness of it and trusted in the goodness of the lawgiver, even as this lawgiver now condemned him in the flesh, He did this for us in agreement with God, his Father. He not only fulfilled the law's demands, he gave himself over to the law's threats that condemned us. Whatever the law could pour out, whatever holy disapproval from God, whatever echoes in your conscience, especially as you revisit sins that year after year you have not overcome, that continue to enslave you and threaten you. Whatever wrath and hatred of sin exists in God, Jesus, your brother, absorbed into himself and bore in your place, he who had no sin of his own, not as a slave simply doing his duty, but as a son, freely took our place to rescue us from the condemnation that was over us. Because his father asked him to. And this is why the Holy Spirit is not just called the Holy Spirit, not just one of the persons of the Godhead, as though just another divine power for us to acknowledge, nor even the Holy Spirit of the Father alone, but he is the Spirit of his Son. He is the Spirit of our dear brother Jesus, our older brother Spirit of the Son, the same Holy Spirit of the Father who proceeds from both and bears witness of both and persuades us of the peace that Jesus has won with his eternal Father, the Spirit of his Son who freely gave himself as a free son to make us free sons and heirs. This Spirit is sent into our hearts crying out, Abba, Father. We call him Abba, Father, with the affection of children toward their dad who loves them. What could more clearly spell out our utter freedom as true sons than to be given the prerogative of addressing God as only a true son can address him? Christ purchased our freedom, and he gives us his Holy Spirit to persuade us to believe that we are free. The law cannot accuse us or judge us. It cannot even tell us what to do. We are not slaves. We are sons born not of blood or of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but of God who gave his son to us. His son is our brother who freely gave himself. The Holy Spirit is the voice of the gospel. He is always revealing a conversation and eternal will of God toward us. He teaches us to have confidence toward God our Father and to love the son of his love. The work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts is a new birth. It changes us. It makes us different from slaves. It is a miracle as wonderful as Christmas that God became man. We are born in heaven through water and the word. It is the new birth of faith that depends on God. And newborn as we are, however, we are still children. Within us remains the flesh that will not submit. The flesh that wants to define itself, obey the rules, get them over with, and find security in what we can do. The flesh can only pretend to submit in a desperate bid for God's approval. This flesh must be daily denied and drowned for two reasons. The one is obvious because it desires what our Father hates. We do not want to fulfill desires that God hates. Second, our flesh must be daily denied and drowned because our flesh is enslaved. Our flesh wants to negotiate. Our flesh wants to appeal like slaves to what we have done and what good motives we have had and how useful we have been, all in order to silence the disapproving rebukes of the law. It comes more naturally this opinion of the law that makes us slaves, and it makes us think like slaves. But we must listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit who teaches us in the Gospel. We must hear God's word as sons and pray as servants who have the spirit of adoption as we sing in that wonderful Christmas hymn, but I thy servant, Lord today, Confess my love and freely say, I love thee truly, but I would, that I might love you as I should. I have the will, the power is weak, yet, Lord, my humble offering take and graciously the love receive which my poor heart to thee can give. And when the law condemns us, When we come to church and we hear what condemns us, makes us feel guilty. When we hear from a mother rebuking us or a father warning us or a brother telling us what we ought to do or even from a son reminding you of what God has said and it stings. Well, then we conclude as children who do not rely on the law, servants who have been made sons. We reason as sons of God who rely on his grace and say, Had I no load of sin to bear? Thy grace, O Lord, I could not share. In vain hadst thou been born for me, if from God's wrath I had been free. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, Jesus was born for you. And he was not born in vain. He He was born to take your sins and to make peace between you and God. He was born to give to you his Holy Spirit to strive within you not so that you might become good enough for God but so that you might always retain and love this good news that your sins are forgiven. As we enter a new year and we consider our failures we consider what we want to become in the next year and we mourn what we have been. We cling to this freedom this status of sons We rejoice in the forgiveness of sins. We do not commit to become better servants and slaves. We commit to more gladly hear and sing the gospel that saves us. Thus will I sing thy praises here with joyful spirit year by year. And when we reckon years no more, may I in heaven thy name adore. In Jesus' name, amen peace of God that surpasses all understanding shall guard our hearts and our minds in Christ unto eternal life. Amen. Amen.